We need a global policeman, and the United States is the only reliable and desirable candidate for that job. I think his remarks are divisive, stupid and wrong, and I think if he came to visit our country, I think he'd unite us all against him. Donald Trump is a leader. He will reassert America's position as the nation with the best values to lead the world. When you have the nuclear codes at your fingertips, you can't have a thin skin or a tendency to lash out. You need to be steady and measured and well-informed. If I was an American citizen, I wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton if you paid me. I have great faith in the American people. Look forward to working with whoever gets elected in November. Hello and welcome to the global election on Monocle 24. I'm Steve Bloomfield. For many mainstream politicians in Europe, one of the biggest worries about this year's US presidential election has been the possibility of America, in their eyes, isolating itself from the rest of the world. This isn't just about Donald Trump and his America first rhetoric. There appears to be a growing unease in America about engagement with the rest of the world. The wars in Iraq and Afghanistan have damaged the idea of the US using its military might while concerns over the economy and jobs have led to many, on both left and right, questioning the wisdom of free trade. Even if Hillary Clinton wins, as seems likely, there is no guarantee that America will want to engage as much as it has over the past 70 years. Some may argue that's a good thing. But what will it mean if America leaves the rest of us alone? Welcome to the global election. Today we're going to talk to two European politicians who have first-hand experience of both trying to persuade America to be more involved in European affairs and who have strong views on what happens if they aren't. In a moment we'll hear from Sir Malcolm Rifkind, a Conservative politician in the UK who served as Defence Secretary and then Foreign Secretary in the 1990s. But first, Radek Sikorski was Poland's Foreign Minister between 2007 and 2014. It was a time when Poland, a new member of the European Union, became increasingly important on the global stage. Sikorski is pro-European and pro-American, and given Poland's history with its eastern neighbour Russia, that's perhaps not surprising. Radek Sikorski, welcome to the global election. Um, Why do you believe the rest of the world needs a fully engaged United States of America? Well, the United States is... uh in the well-known phrase, the world's policeman, in the sense that it's the country that supplies public goods, the safety of uh, sea lanes for global trade, but also particularly for us in Europe, uh, the United States is the country behind the uh, majority of uh, defense spending of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. It is the source of our European security. And during the time when you were Poland's foreign minister, how did you see that in practice? Well, in practice, it means that the US has all the latest equipment. We Europeans, apart from Britain and Poland and a couple of others, have not been uh, spending enough on defence. And uh, when it comes to military operations, be it Afghanistan or strengthening the eastern flank, it's the US that really counts. During this election, uh, we've had some talk of isolationism from certainly from one of the candidates, Donald Trump. How dangerous do you think that would be if America did take this America first position? 
Well, first of all, let's remember that America has been isolationist for most of its existence. In a sense, it's a natural attitude for a country that is separated from its rivals by two oceans and has neighbors that are friendly, Canada and Mexico. And throughout the 19th century, America was isolationist and then reverted to a splendid isolation, if you like, after World War I uh, with the well-known consequences. And so from that point of view of the broad sweep of history, the 45 years since the Second World War until the collapse of communism was something of an exception. And it's in our European interest to keep America engaged because America supplies a sort of bedrock of stability for the North Atlantic area. Do you worry then that actually isolationism is the norm and without that pressure from Europe, that persuasion from Europe, that's what America would revert to? It would be very messy because the United States is present militarily in around 100 countries around the globe. And uh, each decision to withdraw, because it would have to be practical, would have consequences for every country involved. But uh, the problem with candidate Trump's isolationism is that it's not only about reducing America's contribution to global security. I'm told by people who know him that he is an ideological opponent of free trade, that he would uh, not just stop negotiations of new trade agreements, he would actually aim to erect trade barriers. And that, I believe, would have catastrophic consequences for the global economy, just as it did in the 1930s. And yet, uh, while Mr. Trump, certainly at the moment in the polls, doesn't seem to be personally popular himself, that position on trade does have a quite broad well of support within America, doesn't it? And not just in America, also in Europe. Also, I believe, protectionist instincts were partly uh, behind the British vote for Brexit. We are seeing the return of bad ideas, of ideas that have been tried, have been found wanting, often uh, tragically so. But we have nationalist, protectionist and socialist uh, instincts uh, becoming popular again. When you say we're seeing the return of bad ideas, how do those like yourself who believe that begin to counter those ideas? Well, we need to fix our financial system. We need to make capitalism fairer because those who oppose the free market system would do it incompetently and would um, propose the wrong solutions to problems that are real. You say that uh, you need to confront these issues and and make capitalism fairer. Is that also, in a sense, an acceptance on your part that your form of politics has failed over the last 10 or 15 years? I think we have a genuine problem uh, all over the West with our tax system, for example, not keeping up with the realities of the global marketplace. We need to construct a system. Uh, OECD has made proposals for large companies to pay their fair share of taxes. We need to tackle tax havens. Uh, We need to address the issue of fair rewards for various contributions to society. Financiers are, are very well paid, doctors perhaps less so. 
But these are issues that can be tackled within the democratic polity. We don't need to dismantle globalization or democracy to tackle them. And to do that, do you think that requires an engaged America? And if so, are you hopeful uh, or even slightly hopeful that under perhaps President Clinton, that process will begin? I think uh, uh, Hillary Clinton will be influenced by the left wing of her party with some good and bad ideas. For example, there is a genuine issue in the United States of people overburdened with debts for their studies. I'm told there is about a trillion dollars of debt held by people who cannot hope to pay them back and feel enslaved by this system. I'm told that student debt is higher in the United States than credit card debt. Something probably needs to be done about that. And we also need to address the issue of tax havens. And America is, uh, along with London, uh, some of the biggest ones. If you, I don't know if you're a betting man, Mr. Sikorsky, but if you were, would you bet that the world will be in a better place, a more internationalist place in 10 years' time? Or do you fear that actually bigger nations like the US will have sort of removed themselves further behind their own borders? Well, it looks like Mr. Trump will lose because he's such a poor candidate and such an odious personality. But then it will be up to Hillary Clinton to address this issue. I believe that companies, individuals uh, and countries reform themselves when it's almost too late. And we are at that point. So do you worry that while the man may lose, his ideas may not? I worry that he is um, as good as his word. Namely, he's threatening an armed rebellion. He's already saying that the election will be rigged and that people will take uh, to arms, which, as we know, in the United States is no empty threat, and that he will try to put himself at the head of a sort of fascist international with consequences both for the United States and for us in Europe. Could you have ever imagined that something like this could happen in America? Yes, I could, because it has already happened in several European countries. We have extreme movements of the left and right supported by... uh, very well-funded media and intelligence efforts of the Russian Federation. It's true, I didn't think they would dare to do it in the United States. They have dared. Fortunately, there seems to be a pushback in the United States. America has stronger media than we do in Europe, and the candidate is uniquely repulsive. Radek Sikorsky, thank you very much for joining us on The Global Election. Up next, Sir Malcolm Rifkind. So Malcolm Rifkind, uh, welcome to the Global Election. Thank you very much for joining us today. Do you worry that the US appears to be becoming more isolated from the rest of the world? Well, I'm not sure that it is becoming more isolated. I think part of that will depend on the outcome of the presidential election. I think clearly if Trump was to succeed, that would have such a profound and troubling impact that in practice it would uh, make the rest of the world distance themselves from the United States, and that would be very, very damaging. I think so far as Hillary Clinton, if she became president, then we would have essentially a continuity. I mean, neither Obama nor Clinton are interested in isolationism. Where they do differ is that Obama has had a much more reserved foreign policy, a much greater unwillingness to show leadership in some areas, and that has created anxiety amongst traditional allies. 
As the one-time Defence Secretary and Foreign Secretary of one of America's traditional allies, can you talk a bit about the challenges or the need that you felt in your time in office to try to engage America in issues that you thought they could really have an impact in? I was Defence Secretary and then Foreign Secretary in the 1990s, and there was no difficulty then about engaging the United States. It was uh, the time of the uh, first President Bush and then Bill Clinton, who was president of the United States. Uh, We had differences of view with them, particularly over Bosnia, where Britain, France, Germany, the other European countries were working with the United Nations in Bosnia, providing humanitarian convoys, which saved tens of thousands of lives. The United States president was under pressure from Congress saying we should, uh, what they was then called, lift and strike, lift the arms embargo and use air power to attack the Serbs from the air. So we had differences of view, quite significant differences, but they didn't in any way fracture the basic relationship. It remained very, very close because the United States understood that Western European countries in general, the United Kingdom in particular, were the closest allies they had. And why was it important for you in the UK and your colleagues in Europe to have that ally in America when you were dealing with issues in your own backyard? Well, for several reasons. I mean, the United States, first of all, was then and is today the world superpower. Some have said it's been so powerful a country, better to describe it as a super-duper power. There aren't any others. Uh, Russia, China, the United Kingdom, France, all important countries. But in terms of military capability, in terms of economic strength, in terms of political and diplomatic uh, authority, we're a long way behind. That is the reality of the world. It's, uh, the United States has, over the last 30 years, rather like been like Rome in the days of the Roman Empire, not just primus inter pares, but also by far the most powerful country. Now, that is changing. We're becoming a multipolar world. China, in particular, is going to be another superpower very, very soon. But even when China rises, the United States will not fall. It will simply have to adjust to other major countries evolving at the same time. Do you think we're going to go through a stage, I mean, regardless of whether Donald Trump manages to win or, or not, of America being a little more reticent about how it engages with the rest of the world? I think it's quite possible they will become more unhappy with the fact that many of their allies, in their view, and with some justification, do not pull their weight. I mean, if you look at NATO, for example... The United States funds and provides something like 70% of the total capability of the NATO alliance. Now, in, in economic prosperity and strength, all the European countries that are members of NATO, including the United Kingdom, put them all together, and their economic strength is at least as great as that of the United States. But their contribution to defense spending is, is minute. Uh, not so much the United Kingdom and France. The UK and France and one or two other countries do make a, a substantial contribution, But there must be at least 15 to 20 countries, including some of the big ones like Italy and Spain, where defense expenditure is a tiny fraction of their GDP and miles behind the United States. So Trump in particular has been exploiting that in his own presidential campaign. And uh, although Hillary Clinton has been too polite to do so, there is a lot of irritation in Congress and in various U.S. administrations. Why should the NATO alliance not be 
slightly more willing to accept burden sharing. That's why I was then particularly interested in looking at if you've got a situation where the political and defence establishment in the US are, as you're saying, getting a little wary of how much they're funding, and you've got an American public that is, I think, fair to say, war-weary and is less inclined to want their nation to intervene elsewhere... Is that going to lead to some sort of stepping back from the world stage? Well, there is that risk, and Obama has come under a lot of criticism for appearing to be moving in that direction, not entirely fairly. I mean, where he's decided to intervene, he's done so pretty impressively. For example, the use of drone technology as a way of dealing with the Taliban or dealing with uh, ISIS and other terrorist organizations, he's been as robust as anyone could have hoped for. It was his administration that uh, managed to identify Osama bin Laden and took him out and removed him from the scene. So they've been willing to be very tough in certain areas, but in other areas, less so. I think it's part of the legacy of Iraq. We, we suffer from it because of the deep public anger at the mistakes that were made during the Iraq war by Tony Blair and President Bush. And that is partly the problem in the United States as well. But I think there's also a feeling that the United States cannot be expected to be able to solve the world's problems through military means alone. And that inevitably has created a nervousness elsewhere. Sir Malcolm Rifkin, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Next time on The Global Election, we'll be talking about the Middle East. And my guests will include the former UK ambassador to Iraq, Afghanistan and Saudi Arabia, William Patey. You say stand up to the Russians and and Iranians in Syria, and um, forgive me, I'm not directing this in an accusatory way towards you, but I'm always slightly confused when people talk about that. What do they mean? Are they talking about taking military action against Russia inside Syria? Are they talking about, well, if there's a no-fly zone, we'll hit Russian jets? What does it actually mean to stand up in that phrase? Well, I think in the Clinton context, it means the possibility of having safe zones for the groups of civilians, for the allies of the West, if you like, the anti-Assad forces, providing them with safe zones and calling Russia's and Syrians bluff. So it's not looking for a confrontation with the Russians, but being prepared to back up what you say. That may be a difference between Clinton and uh, Donald Trump. I know Donald Trump has said that this is a strategy for World War Three, but his position on Syria is just as inconsistent. <laughs> he talks one minute from leaving, handing over Syria to the Islamic State, to bombing ISIS uh, and sending 30,000 more troops, or letting Putin win in Syria. So the various pronouncements from Donald Trump have been all over the place. So I think it's about if you do have a policy to support the opposition to Assad, either back it up or let events take their course in Syria and um, concentrate on defeating ISIS and allow allow Assad to continue to do what he's doing in Syria. Yeah, at the moment, we're between one and the other. That's it for Episode 7 of The Global Election. Episode 8, the final one, will be available next Friday. You can't vote for us, but you can rate us. If you liked what you heard, why not give us a rating on iTunes? You can also find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and of course, monocle.com slash radio. The Global Election was produced by Rhys James, and it was edited by Alex Funnell. I'm Steve Bloomfield. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.